Thanks for joining us on this week's Real Life Church podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. And uh, real excited about this series. Um, uh, our mission around here is really simple, that we want to, our aim is to introduce Uh, people to the real Jesus in Southwest Ohio and the world. We are four weeks out from Easter, which reminds me at the end of service, don't walk by the little bags over there. Grab a bag, and even if you eat the candy and give the invitation away, whatever. Stop by. I want all of those gone today. We're four weeks out. You can invite your friends to Easter. And this series really is to give us a picture of the real Jesus, because it's hard to live Um, and represent something that you don't necessarily know. And so sometimes in life we have church and we have religion and those sorts of things and maybe uh, we, we, um, we put Jesus into this category of our weak, but really he's not the Lord and Savior. Right? And sometimes we don't uh, understand necessarily about the real Jesus. And so the reason I'm talking about the real Jesus is not just so we can get some facts and some information and some characteristics is that so we can live like him, right? He's our, he's, our, he's our example. He's the one that we look up to, which is what we're going to look at today. But he's the one that we look up to. He's the one that we model our lives after. And so, I, you know, um, my kids love shoes. Anybody else love shoes? Anybody else love shoes? My kids love shoes. And so the three of you, great, sweet. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I always go online looking for shoes, and uh, I'll, I'll look online, and I'll be like, okay, I'll look up Jordans. Okay, I'm looking up the Jordans. I'm looking up the Jordans. It says $45. Certain places, you can get them for 45 bucks. And I send it to my son, and I'm like, bro, check it out, $45 Jordans. They look just like Jordans, right? They look just like them. He's like, Dad, those ain't Jordans. I said, they look just like them, though. He said, Dad, that's pleather, not leather. Come on, somebody. $45 for those. He's like, Dad, they, they, you know, they're normally about 200 bucks. I said, okay, well, we're going to buy you the $45 ones. Hey, hey, they can look like them. But, you know, they're not real. They're not authentic, right? Ladies, you can do that with purses. You can go looking online for a purse and find your little Gucci action, whatever you wear, whatever your, whatever your uh, uh, designer purse is you need. And you can go on there and do the same thing, and it'd be a $45 purse. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, represent, amen, represent. Nope, it's pleather, not leather, right? Why? Because there's an authenticity um, when it comes to what you pay for is depicted upon the authenticity of the item. So whether or not you want the real or you want the fake is going to be dependent on how much you're willing to pay for it. Oh, I'm going somewhere with this one. And so for us as Christians, like, I feel like we've had a $45 Jesus. When we really, God wants us to live in this realm where we really know him and we understand how he operates, and we're not presenting a $45 Jesus to the world, when God wants us to present a a Jesus to the world that, that can transform their life. He's the $200 Jesus, per se. We don't want to, Lord, I don't, you know what I mean. Amen. (laughs) But the point is, is that, that, that when we think about the real Jesus, there's an opposite side, and there's the counterfeit. You know, I looked up the word counterfeit, and it's, it, it means to be made in exact imitation of something valuable or important with the intention to deceive or defraud. That there are people that presented Jesus that's not the real Jesus. 
They presented Jesus that's judgmental, that's critical, that, do, that is not the life giver. Jesus did this. I mean, I mean, God gets blamed for so much stuff that he never even did. You know, we put God in the box where sin should be in the box. Things that happen in the earth, we blame on God, but at the end of the day, it's not God, it's sin. So the curse is, our earth is under a curse. But there's a world and there's, there's, there's a group and there's a people that are presenting a counterfeit Jesus. And it's not helping things. We're, we're not in the place where <clears throat> um, we're presenting the authentic Jesus. And so I, was, I, I looked this up and I read this from this guy and he said he doesn't really carry cash, uh, but on this day he was carrying cash and a crispy $100 bill. On. Anybody got a $100 bill on him real quick? Anybody got a $100? Anybody got a $100? Nobody got, nobody got a $100? Nobody got a $100? Yeah, who's got a $100? Eric, you got a $100 on you? You bring it up here, Eric. Come on, Eric. Come on up here, Eric. Come on, bring your 100 man. Big roller. Come on, Eric. Come on all the way up, Eric. All the way up the stairs. Thank you so much. No, 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 don't let go of it. No, come but stay up here for me just real quick because I'm probably going to give it back. <laughs> Not really. So a $100 bill, Chris, $100 bill. And this guy, he, he goes to um, this place and the cashier and he hands her a $100 bill. And all of a sudden in her drawer, no, man, bro, what's up? <laughs> Like, it ain't over yet. And <laughs> so $100 bill, and what do they do when you have a $100 bill? You go there and they pull out the pen, right? And they take the pen and they mark it. And as they mark, boy, this is a new one, maybe. I know, my boss gave it to you. Your boss gave it to you, bonus. Yeah. Amen. All right, well, let me just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, hey, there we go. <laughs> so you, you, um, uh, you, you, mark the, you mark it with the pen, and it tells you whether or not it's counterfeit or authentic based on the pen. So, so uh, let me, hold on, let me keep, come on over here, Eric. Let me keep reading. And so this guy says this. He says that he asked what was the purpose of the pen, and again, we know that it's standard procedure for them to be marked to spot counterfeit bills. You know, when you work at a bank, um, they don't teach you how to handle counterfeit money. They teach you how to handle real money. And so when somebody slips in counterfeit money, you've handled the truth so much, you've handled the real so much, that when somebody, they'll slip in a counterfeit bill, and it feels different. There's a different feeling about a counterfeit bill than there is an authentic real bill. And so as a banker and as somebody that's counting money, you can pick up whether this is counterfeit or whether this is truth, but it's not because you studied the counterfeit. It's because you studied the truth. And so the, what the world needs today is the world needs a real Jesus where the church has studied the truth, not the counterfeit, where we're constantly looking at the negative of things instead of discovering who the real Jesus is and the snapshots of our Savior and what he wants to do in our life so he can do something through our life. Come on, Eric. There you go, buddy. Come on, give Eric a big hand clap. Hey, man, don't ever say I didn't give you $100. And so the authenticity of it is determined by, uh, by, by uh, the price that's paid. And so Matthew chapter 16, a lot of this isn't in my notes. I added this and I didn't tell them. So Matthew 16, and you don't have to turn there, but there's a great story of Jesus and his disciples. And as Jesus was with his disciples, there was talk about him around the, 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 the region. And he came to them and he said this, he said, who do men say that I am? And some of them were like, well, you know, you're John the Baptist, you're a prophet, you're this, you're that. And they started to name all these names, and then all of a sudden he makes a, a, a personal question. And he looks at his disciples and said, who do you say that I am? See, they've been walking with him. They had seen what he had been doing. They had seen his miracles. They had seen how he loved people. 
And he, and he asked the question, who do you say that I am? Which I think is a real question that we all have to wrestle with. And, and he said this, he, and all of a sudden Simon, who was the guy, his name's Reed, had blown him back and forth in the wind. You never know what Simon was going to do. And uh, all of a sudden he said, well, thou, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and said, you're right. But flesh and blood did not give that answer to you. My father who is in heaven revealed that to you. And he said, upon that revelation of the real Jesus, I'll build my church. Upon the revelation of who Jesus is, the authentic real Jesus, the revelatory Jesus, that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what we have to understand today is the depiction of whether or not we know the real Jesus is depicted on how we answer that question. And the real Jesus can be revealed through the philosophies and the traditions of men. It has to come from a revelation from the Holy Spirit that makes Jesus known to your heart. And so as we discover the real Jesus in this series, I believe that as we look at snapshots, I'm just going to look at different stories on how he operated. And then I'm praying that as we see how he operated, all of a sudden we'd start to operate like that in the earth, right? And so um, this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 1 in the message says this, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. He said, I deliberately kept in uh, plain and simple, I kept it plain and simple, first Jesus and who he is. That's the thing we have to wrestle with. And then secondly, Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. So it was twofold. He was talking to the Corinthian church and he said, Apostle Paul, he said, I didn't come to you in man's wisdom. He said, I came, I came to you with who is Jesus and what has Jesus done? So in other words, Corinthians, I presented to you who the real Jesus is. There was, there was philosophy, and he says this, there, don't, don't allow the latest philosophy to be the way by which you frame who the real Jesus is. If it was today, he would say, don't go to YouTube and type in, who is Jesus? Because that's not where you're going to find out who he is. You're going to go on YouTube, and you're going to get all these philosophies of men, and you're going to end up hating people and not liking the world and representing a Jesus that is not the real Jesus. You're going to present a Jesus of condemnation and a Jesus of, of, of judgment and, and a Jesus of, of just justice. But, man, there's a whole other side to Jesus that the church has got to get a hold of. There's a whole other side of Jesus that we've left out. And so in 1 Corinthians, he tells us that I first told you who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Matthew chapter 4, and today we're going to look at Jesus as our teacher slash example. Matthew chapter 4 verse 23 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues. He was a teacher. And it says that he proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So I ask myself, what makes a good teacher? Jesus was a teacher. He was our example. He would teach. They would follow him. He would teach a lesson, and they'd be like, what in the world does that mean? And then he'd pull them over to the side, and he would spend some time unpacking the stories that he was telling everybody else. And he would spend this intimate time with his disciples, giving them principles of what it means to really be a kingdom player, what it means to live for God in the kingdom and the earth. And so I started to think about what makes a good teacher relevant. A teacher, a good teacher is relevant. Now, relevant doesn't mean the clothes you wear. 
Relevant is, is your, is your talk and your answers and your solutions have anything to do with the current problem that's going on in the earth, right? It provides answers to problems in the earth, and that's what Jesus was doing. He was providing solutions and problems, or solutions and answers to the problems of the world, and so he was relevant. He was authentic, right? Peter's out there just wild, man, cutting people's ears off, and Jesus just kind of picks it up, you know, like Mr. Miyagi on Karate Kid. He picks it up and puts it on the side of his, back on the side of the guy's head, looks at Peter and is like, hey man, you need to chill out a little bit. Let me teach you about patience, not with the sword. Let's learn about patience a little bit. Jesus was always teaching, and he was authentic in his teaching. There was times where in his teaching, he was so, uh, with the religious rulers, he was so authentic and relevant that he put those guys in their places. They'd be like, Jesus, who do you think you are? He's like, who do you think you are? You're walking around here like dead men's bones and whitewashed sepulchers walking around the earth. Now imagine that. Think about that. That's authentic. He was an authentic person. But also, being our teacher, he was an authentic person that would reach down to a woman that was caught in the act of adultery, and he would draw in the sand in the middle of this encounter, and he would look at her accusers and say, which one of you that is without sin can throw the first stone? He was authentic. He was an authentic teacher. He, was, he, he believed in what he said. A real teacher believes in what they say. Jesus didn't just teach information. Jesus taught by example. Every moment in your Bible, every moment that you find in your Bible, Jesus was an example to us on how we are supposed to pattern our lives in the earth today. He, he, he became that, that teacher for us. And so what he said, he lived. So I want you to understand something today. That Jesus was not only, he didn't just say a thing, he also was a thing and did a thing. He didn't just say this and then turn around and do something completely different. He was authentic, he was relevant, and what he did with his life was, he didn't just tout information, he lived by an example. And for us, that's what he wants for the church. That's what he wants for a church that's in a world that's filled with chaos. He wants the church to really be salt and light. He really wants the church to be the example of what it means to fall in love with the real Jesus. Not a conception of Jesus because you go to church on Sunday. But an authentic reality that the real Jesus wants to have a relationship with me and for me to be an example. You know, he didn't just tell you to love your neighbor and turn around and does something totally different. If you think about Jesus as a teacher in our example, I think about guys like blind Bartimaeus. He was on the side of the road begging, and he was, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples are like, shut up, man, shut up. He's busy. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And this trip, he's, he's tripping. He's yelling. Blind Bartimaeus, he's yelling. Hey, Jesus, have son of have David, Jesus, amen. Come. I got my words mixed up. Did you see that? And, uh, and so he did this three times, and all of a sudden the disciples had said, man, shut up. Jesus is busy. And all of a sudden Jesus heard. Jesus heard faith. And Jesus turned in the crowd, and he comes over to the blind man and says, what do you want? He says, well, I want to be able to see. All of a sudden he touches him. All of a sudden the man begins to see. Why? Because he was authentic. 
He was, he was one that came, and, and he didn't just tell us to love our neighbor, but he loved his neighbor. Think about the lepers, the untouchable. He touched them. Think about the woman at the well that came with this, this adultery in her life and this weight of sin in her life. Jesus touched her life so much that became, she became a world changer back in Samaria. Think about people like that, 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 that woman that was caught in the action. He said, listen, 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 listen. He said, after they all left, he looked at her, and he said, listen, you're forgiven. Now go sin no more. What was he doing? He, he was creating this moment. He was, he, he, was, he was teaching what to his disciples as they're sitting there watching all of this go on because there's going to be a day that they're going to have to carry the same torch. They're going to have to carry the same love. They're going to have to carry the same compassion. They're going to have to carry the same burden of the real Jesus that they were taught with. So he demonstrated the kingdom of God. So I want to I pick up in John chapter 13 as our kind of our snapshot of our Savior today, and that's, that's at the Last Supper. And uh, there he is, all the guys had come in, and you know, when they, when they did dinners like that, normally what would happen is there would be a servant at the door, and you would take your shoes off at the door, and the servant would wash your feet. You know, you, and, and in those times, like they walked with sandals, so their feet were dirty. You know, they had, they had, they had, a, lot of, they had a lot of dirt between their toes, and, and they would come in, and the servant would wash the feet of the people that would be coming to dinner. Well, in this case, there was no servant because Jesus was the servant. So all these guys come in, and I started to think about this picture that they're there sitting down, it's, it's before he's getting ready to be betrayed, and he would be given into the hands of, of sinners, and he would die on the cross for our sin. And I thought about this for just a minute as he's interacting with these guys, and all of a sudden Jesus, as he's talking to them, he breaks bread with them, he, he does communion, he says, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood that will be poured out for you, and all of a sudden he starts to wash their feet. And some of the disciples piped up and said, hey, 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 you don't wash my feet. No, I wash your feet. Jesus said, listen, y'all don't wash your feet. You ain't got no part with me. And then that's, that's Simon, right? He's in the moment. He's like, well, then if you ain't going to wash my feet, wash everything. Wash me from the top all the way down. Like, he wanted it all. Well, in this moment, Jesus is having this, this he's going around the table. And I started thinking about this picture, that he's picking up his betrayer's foot, in this moment. He's picking up Judas's foot and he's washing his feet. He, he's picking up all the disciples in this moment, all different personalities in this moment. He's picking up the, the, the feet of all these guys and he's washing them and he's giving them a picture of what it means. And here's what he says in John chapter 13, verse 15. Here's what he tells them. He says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Listen to what he says. He says, I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. In this moment, it was about serving. It was humility. It was lay down your pride and help somebody else. Right? In this moment, this is what he was trying to teach. But in general, he's saying, pattern your life after what you just saw me do over the last three years. He's saying, I've set for you an example on how you're to live your life. This was hours before he went to the cross. This was hours. He was wanting to communicate something very powerful and specific to them. He was telling them that you are going to come into situations that you don't know what to do, but look to me as your example. Look to me as your teacher. 
You ever been in situations where you're like, I don't know how I got here. I don't know what I'm going to do in this situation. And you start to reason and you start to come up with human intellectual ideas. And it's not really until the problem really gets bad that you start to consult God. Well, God wants us to start with him because he's our example. And here he is in this moment about ready to die. And the message that he tells them is look to me for everything. In other words, he's saying, seek first the kingdom of God, because everything you need is added unto you through the relationship that you're going to have with me. So here he is as the teacher teaching them. You know, I started to think about what happens when you don't have an example. What happens when you don't have an example in life to look to? You know, some of you may have grown up without your father. Some of you may didn't have examples growing up in front of you. Maybe you didn't have anybody that did marriage well. And you're like, man, I've worked my tail off to figure out how to do marriage on my own. You know, there's, there's this thing called the B-I-B-L-E. And in here is everything you need to know about how to love your spouse, right? Because this is our example. In John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among. The, the word is Jesus. He's our example. So the word is our example on how to do everyday Life, marriage, raising kids. Dear God, where's that at in there? Amen. Find that one. The point this morning is if you don't look to the right example, you're going to get off in your relationship with Christ. And so here, here's what happens. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end, the way of it is death. And so what happens when you don't have an example? You try to fix it yourself. You try to fix life yourself we look, or, you, or you look to others for assistance, or, or you, you just, some people just learn to live with it. They're like, you know what, this is, always, this is how it's always going to be, right? You don't have a pro, you don't have an example in front of you to, to, to lead you in how to solve these problems, and so we just learn to live it. There's some people turn to God. There's some people that will turn to God and look to God as their example. They'll, they'll turn to God, and, and they'll want God's wisdom and God's, God's priority and, and God's vision for their life. You know, Jesus is our example, and in Ephesians chapter 5, he tells us something very interesting. He says this, he says, you are God's children whom he loves, so try to be like him. Then he says it in Ephesians 5, 1, in a new, another translation, says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. In other words, what we see God do as our example, we start to do in the earth. And I believe there's some things God wants to show us as our teacher. Number one, I believe he came to show us how to overcome temptation. I believe he came to the earth to show us how to overcome temptation. Jesus was put into the wilderness. The Bible says that he was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Do you realize that if you're not careful, you won't recognize that you're in the wilderness being tempted by the enemy. The enemy sometimes, but notice who put him into the wilderness. The Spirit of God led him there. So sometimes your wilderness experiences isn't the devil. It's God leading you into that place to teach you how to deal with temptation. See, this is what Jesus experienced. Jesus went in in Matthew chapter 4, and he was tempted in the wilderness. You know, the enemy would say things like, say different things to him. He would quote the word to him, and Jesus would take the word, which he was the word, and he would quote back to him. He, the enemy would say something crazy, and God would say, and Jesus would say back to him, listen, man, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
In other words, what he was doing, he was showing us how we deal with temptation. Well, I'm not tempted, Pastor. No, I'm not tempted. I'm not tempted. You lie, you fry. Every one of us are tempted. Every one of us are tempted. I'm tempted every time I drive down certain parts of the road because there's Carabas, Cheddars, and there's Chick-fil-A. You know what I'm saying? Right? You just want to pull in there and be like, hey, give me number five, and then pull the next one. Give me another number five. Right, you're tempted. You can't do that. But the point is this, is that we're tempted. And he used the word against the enemy. So the lesson that he teaches us is that he came to show us as, uh, as our example how to overcome temptation. The second thing I believe he taught us was how to face impossible situations. He taught us how uh, to face impossible situations, and this is our faith realm. Scripture tells us in Romans uh, 1.17, they don't have this, I put this in, it says this, for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. Read it this way, the justified shall live by faith. He's saying here, he's saying, listen, the teacher came to give you an example of how to walk in faith. How to deal with impossible situations. The justified. The word justified simply means this. Just as if I have never sinned. So when you became a Christian, the Bible says that you were justified. When you said yes to Jesus, Jesus wiped your sin as far as the east is from the west. And listen to me, people. It's just as if you never sinned. So he says the people that understand, it's just as if they never sinned, walk by faith. So Jesus was communicating to us how to deal with impossible situations because we're all going to face it. The example that he gave us was have faith in God, Mark 11. He says, have faith in God. He says, and when you say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in your heart, but believe those things which you say, it shall come to pass. You will have whatsoever you say. And when you stand praying, please make sure you forgive. Right? He was giving us an example. He says, he says in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Faith is a firm persuasion that what God said he would do, he's going to do. And so when we step into impossible situations, it's not you trying to work the situation to figure out how to make it work. God says, listen, you're justified, walk by faith, have a firm persuasion that what I said I would do as your example and as your teacher, you saw me heal, you saw me deliver, you saw me transform, you saw me walk on water, come on, man, you saw me come up out of that grave. And listen to me today, he's trying to communicate to us that if you're justified, walk by faith. Every impossible situation, listen, I looked up the word impossible, look how it reads, I'm possible. I'm possible. So when you're facing a mountain, you're facing something that's bigger than you, you need to tell the mountain, I serve a God that is possible. The God that, that, that comes and destroys mountains and obstacles and defeated death, hell, and the grave. That's my God. And I'm firmly persuaded by his example that he came to kick your teeth out. So guess what? I come to kick your teeth out teaches us how to overcome impossible situations. Number three, how to submit to God's plan. He taught us about obedience. He taught us how to submit to God's plan. In the garden, there he is, he's praying. He tells them, guys, I'm going to pray. You go over there and pray. These dudes were out in 10 minutes. They were gone. That'd be me. I'd be over there asleep. These guys, and Jesus is praying, 
This is like his darkest hour. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that he's there wrestling, and he begins to sweat drops of blood. It's a time of pressure, and here he is in the garden, and he says this phrase. This is before he's getting ready to be arrested. He says this phrase. He says, Lord, if this cup or this thing which I'm getting ready to go through can pass by, please let it. But listen to what he says. He says, not my will, but your will be done. See, Jesus was our example of obedience. He was our example of how to submit to God's plan. First Peter 2.21 says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He's trying to communicate to us, when God asks you to do something, do it. Submit your will to his. When I think about the cross, it's the picture of two wills. The vertical will is the will of God. The horizontal will is the will of man. And at that moment is a place of death. And what's going to die most of the time is your will to his will. He says you must pick up your, your cross daily and follow him. You must be crucified daily. That's the, that's the picture of two wills coming together. And when we submit our life to him, see, here's what I want you to understand. Following the real Jesus as your example means that you're in covenant with him and all of a sudden, it's like the marriage day, like when you do a wedding, and so you exchange vows, right? In my, in my ceremonies, I'll say things like this, everything that I have and all that I am, I give to you. And then the other person on the other side says, everything that I have and everything that I am, I give to you. What are we doing? This is covenant. You're in covenant with God. God says, everything that I have, I gave to you. Now, it's real simple. If you want a one-sided covenant, there's no such thing. What we want is we want everything God has for us, and that's it. But God's trying to communicate to you that this is a marriage. This is a relationship. It's the real Jesus. It's an example. And here's the example. He's saying everything that I have and everything that I am, I give to you. What's your response supposed to be? Everything that I have and everything that I am. I give to you. That's the submission of your will to his. Which means when I'm fully obedient, when I'm at the restaurant and God asks me to pray for somebody, or, or I'm out and about and God asks me to witness to somebody, it's not, it's not, it's not something that, oh, well, I don't, they're not going to like me. They're not going to say, no, hold on. You surrendered your rights to even think that way. Well, pastor, no, 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 I'm a Christ follower. No, you're not. You're not a Christ follower if you're negotiating whether or not you should tell the greatest news on the planet to somebody that needs to hear it. That means there's not true covenant. That means you want God, God, give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. If your name's Jimmy, that was an illustration. <laughs> but it's one-sided. The real Jesus relationship is not one-sided. The real relationship with Jesus is, God, whatever you want me to do, I will follow. Wherever you want me to go, I will follow. Whoever you want me to talk to, I'll talk to. Whatever you want me to give, I'm going to give. Why? Because all of a sudden, it's not my life. I've, I, I'm a dead man. 
walking in this earth. I surrender my life to Christ, and it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. That means that I'm not trying to negotiate whether or not I can make it happen. I've surrendered to the real Jesus as my example, and I'm going to walk in obedience to him, and he's going to bring the breakthrough. Are you with me this morning? You must be thinking. How to submit to God's plan. Number four is this. How to be generous. I believe Jesus showed us how to be generous as our example. When you think of generosity, you think of Jesus. The Bible says it this way, that greater love has no one than this, that that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Listen, to be generous is to be like God. You're never more like God than when you're generous. You're like, Pastor, no, that's not the way. No, no, again, go back. If you're obedient and you're submitted to his will, guess what? Generosity is automatic, right? Because you don't live like this when you're submitted. You live like this. You don't live like this and as if it fits in your plan or not. No, all of a sudden you start to live like this. And everywhere you go, how can I be generous? How can I encourage somebody? How can I smile, 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 church, smile? Dear Lord, smile, it's encouraging. Encourage somebody, all of a sudden this generosity, all of a sudden you're sitting there and all of a sudden you're at this restaurant and you think to yourself, all of a sudden, God, you want me to buy their lunch? You're like, Pastor, that's the, you know, you say that all the time. Here's why I say it. It's because we got to break out of ourselves, right? And all of a sudden, you look over, and God says, listen, buy their own. Well, they look like they can pay for their own lunch. That's not the point. God's breaking selfishness off of you because he's your example of what generosity looks like. Listen, you're generous when people don't inconvenience you. When their problems don't inconvenience you, you're a generous person. You're a generous person with your time. You're a generous person with your talents. You're a a generous person with your money. All of a sudden now this generosity gets off on your life. Why? Because he's your example. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he did what? Thank you. What did he do? He gave. He, he, did, he wasn't stingy. He wasn't, I'm just going to give half. No, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. What did he teach us? He taught us how to be like him in generosity. And finally, how he taught us how to show unconditional love. He taught us how to walk in forgiveness. There's a story in the Bible of a woman that burst into a Pharisee's house uninvited. She came into the house with this flask of oil and picture this Pharisee, this religious person and he comes, and she comes in with her flask of oil. She wasn't invited. And she comes in, and all of a sudden, she sits at the feet of Jesus. She's weeping. She takes her flask of oil, which is very costly. Some say it's a year's wage. 
She takes it and she breaks it over his feet. She begins to anoint his feet with oil. She begins to dry his feet, begins to wash her tears. Her tears begin to drop down on, on him. She's so repentant. She's in this moment with the Lord. There's this Pharisee sitting there watching all of this go on. And as, as we pick up, and I'll read this, this parable to you. He says, there was a certain money lender who had two debtors because the Pharisee was saying, if Jesus knew who this woman was, a sinner, he would not let her touch him. He would not let her experience this brokenness in this moment because she is a sinner filled with a lot of sin. And then, then, then he, starts to, he starts to say something. He says he starts to teach. It says a certain money lender had two debts, only owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. So they couldn't pay their debt, so he canceled the debt of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? He says, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. In other words, you didn't serve me. He says to her, he, said, he says to him, but she was wet, she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. He says, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. It's a place of reverence. In verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with the most costly thing that she has worked for. She broke it out at my feet. And verse 47 says this, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but who is forgiven little loves little. In other words, he puts it this way, her sins have been forgiven. He was showing us unconditional love. If you're waiting for people to get right before you love them, you don't know the real Jesus. If you're waiting for people to measure up to your standard, you don't know the real Jesus. You're like the Pharisee. You have a religious idea, but you don't know him as your example. See, because the real Jesus is one that loves unconditionally no matter what the person has done, no matter what the person has experienced, no matter what the person has done. And all of a sudden, that unconditional love, it comes in and it begins to set that person free. It set this woman completely free. But he showed us a picture of unconditional love. So when we think of Jesus as our example, Jesus showed us these things so we can be an example to the world. There are people in your life that don't need judgment. There's people in your life that need unconditional love. There are people you're going to come in contact with that need your generosity. There are people that you're going to come in, in contact that need Jesus as their example. And the only way some people are going to see Jesus is when he starts to show up through his church. The real Jesus must begin to show up in society from the things you post to the things you say to the interactions that you have with people. The real Jesus needs to start to show up. Now listen to me, church. God is coming for a church that's without spot or wrinkle. And there's coming a day, the Bible says, that there will be people stand before him. 
that he will look at them and say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Because you were pharisaical in your relationship with him. You were religious, it was on your terms. You weren't covenant, it was your terms. And if God doesn't move, he must not like me. If God doesn't move, he must not love me. Hold on a second, careful. Careful, you're treading on very dangerous water. Well, pastor, how can you really be sure that that's gonna happen? It says it right here. I don't wanna be that guy. I don't wanna be standing before the Lord to him say I never knew you. The word knew means to have an experience with. God wants to have an experience relationship with you and he wants you to have a relationship with him, with the real one. And I'll close with this statement. Jesus did not come to earth just to die. He came to teach us how to live. Jesus didn't come just to the earth to teach us just how just to die. He came to teach us how we're supposed to live. Some of you in this room, you need unconditional love today. Some of you in this room, you need the generosity of God to happen in your life. Some of you need to experience the forgiveness of the Lord. Some of you need to surrender and start obeying him and start walking with him. Let him be your example. And all of a sudden now you wanna, you wanna walk in this place of obedience with him. But some of you in this room need the unconditional love of God. You say, pastor, there's no way God would love me. You have no idea what I've done. It, that doesn't matter. Jesus loves people with sin that's so amounted that we don't know how to get out of it. It's because that's why he came. He came to seek and save that which is lost. So if you're lost, if you're in sin and you're broken and you need Jesus, it's the unconditional love of God that's going to rescue you today. Let's close our eyes this morning. Bow your heads. From this place you say, Pastor, I need, my life is a wreck. It's filled with sin. Listen to me, I felt in my spirit, if we could just, not, nobody move around just for a moment. I just felt in my spirit today that there are some of you that need to repent of the mentality of going to church. You say, Pastor, you, why are you saying that? Because the point is not that you go to church. The point is that you become the church. The point is that you live in that place where you start to be an example of what the real Jesus really looks like in the earth. So if you're in this place today, you say, Pastor, man, I need the unconditional love of God to come into my life. I need to repent of just doing church. Or maybe you're lost and you're like, Pastor, I don't know how to deal with the things that I'm facing. Well, he wants to come in and he wants to show you and he wants to be your example and he wants to set you free today. So if you're in this place, you say, Pastor, that's me on any of those occasions. We did me a favor, I wanna pray for you today. Will you raise up your hand? I wanna pray for you right where you're at. Yeah, I see your hand, I see your hand. Who else? Who else is this me? Yeah, I, I see your hand over here. See, there's so many times in life where we think God's left us. He hasn't left you. The Bible says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
I know you've, I know you've experienced pain. I know you've experienced hurt and you've questioned. But listen to me today. All those questions before God, it doesn't move God. It doesn't change his love for you because it's not conditional. God can handle your questions. He's your father. And he wants to come in and revolutionize your life. For those of you that raised your hand this morning, we're gonna pray together. I'm just gonna pray for you because I feel like that's what we're supposed to do this morning. If you're watching online today, you say, Pastor, I need to make a decision to follow Christ or maybe on one of those occasions that I just mentioned, you need prayer today. Just type the word yes in the comments. I believe today God's gonna bring breakthrough to you. I'm gonna wait just a minute because I just feel like there's more people in this room that need to get right with God. And if you do, just raise up your hand. I'm gonna pray for you. About 10 seconds, I'm gonna pray. You need to get right with God. Father, today, in Jesus' name, we thank you for being our example. Thank you today, Lord, for those that raise their hands in this room today that need a touch from heaven. Father, we pray today, Lord, that as we just read, that you live and, and you breathe a relationship with us, and you're our example, and you're our teacher. And Lord, you said in your word that you want to show us how to pattern our life after you. And one of those things was unconditional love. And today, Lord, I just thank you that in this moment, those that raise their hands will experience the unconditional love of God. That today, Lord, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that today, Father, I just thank you today for healing every wound. Thank you today for healing every hurt and all the pain that they're experiencing today, Father. We just thank you, Lord, for the unconditional love of God moving through this place today. God, thank you for setting people free in this moment. Thank you for setting them free online. Lord, those that said yes today, Lord, that need this touch from heaven. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you, as the real Jesus, would manifest yourself in their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit that comes in and revolutionizes our life. And so today, in Jesus' name, Father, we're just asking, do, Lord, what only you can do. And so we praise you for it today in the name of Jesus. Will you guys, everybody in the room, will you say this prayer with me? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I ask you to come into my heart today. Make me a new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. Thank you today, Lord, for being my Lord. And today, Lord, all that I am and all that I have, I give to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand. Close. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app, and online at livereallife.com. 